Hello, my name is Robbie Ventura, and I am your host here at the Velocity Cycling Podcast, where our one goal is to get you to fast faster. There is no one way to have great cycling performance. What works for some of us may not work for others. We really want to expose you to some of the greatest minds in sports performance. And hopefully, we can try to figure out what works best for you to meet your goals and to meet your genetic potential. We're going to do one job and we're going to try to do it the best we can. And that is get you to fast faster. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. I am your host, Robbie Ventura, and we really have one goal here at the Velocity Podcast, and that is to help people become more efficient, uh, more confident, more economical cyclists. And we do that through a virtual platform um, called Velocity. So if you ever get a chance and you want to learn the skills that really make you a better bike rider, please come over to our platform and give us a shot. We'll also make you stronger, but more importantly, we'll give you the confidence to really be comfortable on the road from changing your gears to getting out of your seat properly to learning how to pace yourself. And on a lot of our podcasts, we talk a lot about those elements. Today's a little bit different. We have a really cool, we have two great guests today, and we're going to talk about mental health. Now in this new world, um, there is so much more, um, comfort in speaking about mental health. Um, some of the greatest athletes in the world have talked about it and told their story. Serena Williams, Simone Biles, uh, Michael Phelps have all brought significantly more awareness to, um, to mental health and wellness. And our endurance sport is no different. Cyclists and triathletes all over the land um, have always struggled with mental health. I think oftentimes our sport kind of brings in a lot of people um, that are that are working with currently have kind of getting over or um, dealing with mental health. And today, our two guests are going to talk a little bit more about that. Our first guest is Mac Doris. He was the founder of the Ride for Mental Health. Super excited to have Mac in this in the house. And of course, your velocity instructor, Charlotte Backus is also back with us on the Velocity platform. We cannot thank her and for what she does for Velocity on a regular basis. And she's going to tell a little bit more about her story today. But before we get into both of their stories, I wanted to say, if anybody is out there and has not signed up for the Ride for Mental Health, you don't have to live in New York to do the event. You can do it virtually. And as a as a person that we want to really, really support and something we want to get behind, Velocity has decided to sponsor the ride for mental health. And we're going to do it in one of two ways. The first way is if you sign up for the ride, we will give you free Velocity from now until when the ride happens. Whether you're doing it virtually or on the ground in New York, Velocity will support you by giving you a free membership so you can join us to prepare for the 25, the 50, the 75, or the 100, whatever ride you choose. The second thing we're going to do is if you can sign up for the ride, and sign up for the Velocity platform, we're going to make a donation in your name to the Ride for Mental Health. So please take advantage of those things. Let's drive awareness. Let's get this ride really big and really exciting. And um, we can actually segue into Mac Doris and find out where this ride has come from and um, why you're so passionate about the Ride for Mental Health. So welcome, Charlotte. Welcome, Mac. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Robbie. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, tell you just a little bit about the background of the ride. Um, uh, it's unfortunately it's it started because we lost our middle son um, to to mental illness. Basically, he was a great young man, um, uh, had all kinds of passions, 
not so much sports, but but he was really into technology. He was a foodie. He was cooking all kinds of stuff when he was 12. Um, he wasn't so great on portion sizes. So I, I would take a lot of food into my secretary on Mondays uh, and the rest of the office. But, um, but he was really into cooking. Uh, he learned how all the chemical reactions work with the food. Uh, gave my wife quite a hard time about her cooking. Uh, he was into design. He was into fashion. Um, but unfortunately, as he grew up, um, he started having some issues. He started having OCD issues. Um, you know, we were fortunate enough to be able to get him help, um, but it didn't solve all the problems. And um, by the time he was in high school, it got more serious. Um, he had a bout with anorexia. Uh, and then ultimately he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And he, and he also had substance use issues. And so, you know, he was trying to get through the day. He was trying to be able to find ways to fall asleep at night. He was really just struggling with his mental health on a regular daily basis, despite having, you know, all the medical help in terms of psychiatrists and so forth that, you know, we could have. Um, ultimately, he went to McLean Hospital, was there as an outpatient, and actually was was making really great progress. And I, and I suspect that the stresses of, of getting ready to leave there and come back to New York, find an apartment, go back to school, back to college, he was, he was 21 at the time, um, and resume his life, you know, with kind of from ground zero, might actually have been so stressful that, that he ended up dying from an accidental overdose in January of 2016. That led me about a year later to look around on the internet for rides, charity rides for mental health. And you know what, back then I saw like none. And, and you know, there's a lot of charity bike rides in this country and they are all great, you know, for a lot of great causes. Um, and, you know, the, the, the most famous one is the PMC ride, the Pan Mass Challenge around Boston. That is the biggest fundraising event in the United States every year. They raise around $60 million on a weekend. Um, and I thought, you know, we have to do this. Um, I'm an avid cyclist. The New Paltz area, New York and the Hudson Valley is a wonderful area to ride a bicycle. So we created the Ride for Mental Health. And in 2017, our first year, we somehow managed to get 100 people to ride their bikes and we raised some money. Um, and it, it grew to something over 400, around 425 in 2019. Um, and, um, and then we went virtual because of the pandemic, but we still raised 125,000 in 2020. Um, we started a, a Strava club, the Ride for Mental Health Strava club, which is free, which we have over 1,300 people. We are on Facebook and Instagram. We have something like over 20,000 people following us on Facebook. Wow. Strava club, we have riders from all over the world, um, which is kind of neat because they probably don't know a lot about the actual ride itself. Um, last year, we were back over 400 total registered and um, uh, we raised $235,000, um, of which 225 went to McLean Hospital where the bulk of the donations have gone. We've raised over 800,000 now so far for McLean. And last year, we also donated 5,000 each to two really good local New Paltz nonprofits. Um, and this year, we're really pushing to see if we can't get closer to 600 in-person riders um, and uh, get over the million dollar mark cumulatively in terms of the funds raised for McLean. And, and we're gonna keep growing this thing. Um, it's, you know, people who've been here just rave about it. I, I spoke at a bike club last night um, and, uh, you know, at the end of my little spiel, Somebody raised their hand. I thought they had a question and said, no, I did it in 2019. It was unbelievable. Um, and so um, people love it and we just need to spread the word. 
terrific. You know, we're, we're, we're super fired up to be a part of it. And just to think about a raising a million dollars um, to the McLean Hospital, I think is terrific. And I think I read somewhere that there's really three areas that they're focused on, which are education, research, and treatment. And I have some questions about that. Like, tell us about the education component. Like, who needs to be educated? Um, and I know, obviously, kids and adults, but what things do people learn need to learn and know? Like, tell us a little bit about what that education consists of. I, th- I think a lot of the education relates to, um, at all levels, you know, h- helping people recognize when others are struggling with mental health issues. You know, it's almost like CPR for, for mental health. Um, you know, being, being able to, you know, have a talk with a friend, um, being able to sense that they're struggling and, and then, you know, ask some questions and, you know, and it's okay to say, I mean, I hate to, to, to bring this up, but it's okay to say, have, have you thought of killing yourself? You know, we, we don't typically uh, act so directly. Um, and, and, and one of the things that happens sometimes, and we have somebody who participates in a ride who lost his brother when they were young uh, in their 20s. He grew up around uh, Milwaukee and everybody thought his brother was fine. And one day his brother shot himself um, and committed suicide. And, you know, they really later realized he must have been terribly depressed, but he was of the grin and bear it, you know, approach. And, you know, that's that's not a great approach for anybody, obviously. And um, so I think a lot of the education is is trying to explain to people how they can um, a spot indicators of, of mental struggles and how to, you know, open a dialogue with people, their friends and, and relatives who are struggling. To bring this around to the endurance community, Charlotte, um, you know, this is something that, that, that you've dealt with, been dealing with, may still continue to be dealing with uh, on a regular basis. Um, expand on that a little bit. Like what are the things in the endurance community potentially that we would be seeing um, to kind of give us a little bit of a, a, a red flag that some people may need some help here. Um, and this is something that we should, we should do something about. And then once we determine that, what are the steps? What do you do once you, once you have a suspicion or you identify that someone is struggling? Yeah. I mean, it can present itself in many ways. Um, I think a, a big sign to see is when you have a friend or a peer or a fellow cyclist that just starts pulling away. So they don't join the group rides. They start being a little more alone. They don't want to be social because that's a sign of depression and depression can kind of make you feel like you don't want to be with other people. And that feeling of aloneness can really exacerbate you know, potential issues in the future. And and you can even go up to that friend and say, you know, are you okay? How are you doing? And just kind of see how it goes from there. Um, There are many places you can go to and lots of psychologists out there now, which is amazing. But I think a big sign is when you start seeing someone change dramatically with either pulling back from group rides or not socializing or even like getting more angry often and just a dramatic change. It can mean that something's going on. And then when you approach somebody in in either Mac or Charlotte and you approach somebody with some concerns, 
how do you do that in a way where you're not going to put them on the defensive or, I mean, how, what's the, re, what's the reaction? What is the best way to let them know your concern um, without, you know, maybe upsetting them? I mean, some people aren't comfortable talking about it. They're not comfortable feeling the way they feel. How do you make sure that you can really help the person rather than offend them and, and make them turn even more inward? I, I think, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I think that's a that's a tricky aspect um, question, Robbie, and and everyone's different, of course, in terms of how they react. Um, you know, and it, it was interesting, Charlotte, listening to you talking about you know not showing up for group rides and so forth. Because just today, I actually went out on a little ride with some friends, and and um, we were talking about one guy who wasn't there today, and somebody said he's he's suddenly put on a bunch of weight. And he's no longer the strong guy that he used to be. And he always prided himself on like killing us and, and, and booking up hills. And, and one of the things that came into my mind, that I didn't you know, say it to the person next to me was simply, gee, I, I hope he's okay. Like, I hope he's th- that he's feeling okay. I hope things are going well in his life. And, and to go back to your question, Robbie, when I see this guy um, and I'm hopefully we'll see him soon. You know, I'll just ask him how he's doing. That's that's the start, and and just try to have a little talk with him, see what he's doing, and and we'll see what he says. Um, you know, he's unlikely to say I'm. I think I'm feeling depressed or something, but he, he may open up and tell me about some things that aren't going so well. Maybe work's not going so well. Maybe some family things not going so well, and that can trigger all kinds of reactions in people. And and so it's it's really it it, it kind of takes two to have the conversation but it's not so hard to start it. Got it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think one important thing to do is to make sure it's not in front of other people. So, you know, it's not like when you're sitting there with the group, how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? You know, it could make them feel like they're the spotlight and that's a lot of, that can cause a lot of more issues. And another thing you can do is just come from a place of empathy so instead of just like, well, I have to ask because you're gone. I want to know. It's it's more of like, I'm actually concerned. Like, put that feeling within you. And then when you ask that, you can see it through their eyes. It's it's incredible the little body movements and the facial expressions that we express through questions that can really impact someone. And they would most likely be more open to being more open to you. So you know, getting deeper into, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing too well this week. It's been a struggle. And then you can kind of be like, oh, well, how, how's that going? What's been going on? And, and in a quiet, quiet environment to where they feel comfortable. Cause a lot of this depression and anxiety is discomfort and you don't want to make that even more uncomfortable because then that's where things just kind of block off. And, and once you get, let's say you, you make it to that point where they're, they're open um, with you about their struggles, they're, they're challenged right now, maybe they're feeling depressed. What is the next step then in the, in the process? You, there's many steps you can do. And yes, you're not a psychologist. You can't be like, okay, let's sit down for a session. Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, be a friend. And, and that's like one of the most important parts for someone struggling mentally is having friends and having someone that's there to talk to and then they, that they can trust. So not going out and being like, well, Johnny here, he's having depression issues. 
you want to you want to be keep it between the two of you and then you can maybe suggest okay well let's go online you can go online to psychology.com or .org and find psychologists um jed foundation is a really good place to go it's jedfoundation.org they have resources where you can find psychologists and it's not you can find either psychologists in your area or even online so it's gotten really good with that and i think even if you're not struggling with mental health issues i think it's good to have a psychologist someone to talk to to rationalize with and so that next step would be you know okay well maybe you need someone to talk to like a psychologist but then make sure they know that you're there as a friend so they know that you support them and you're not going to go blabbing about their issues that you to have the trust of each other mac yeah i i totally agree with that robbie i i think um having the friend is really key and when you see you know your friend having some struggles being there for them. Um, and I think Charlotte's uh, response about the empathy and saying, you know, I'm concerned about you is exactly right. Um, and making sure that they understand they can trust you. You're not going to tell anyone else. Um, and, and that sort of gives that person, you know, that outlet and that chance to talk to at least to you, you're not a professional, but that's a whole lot better than not talking to anyone. And I think that's the, that's the most dangerous situation, as, as Charlotte pointed out, when people withdraw and they kind of get into their own space and, and, and they don't socialize, you know, they don't go out so much. They don't do the group rides. They're just um, sort of going down a black hole and 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 um, just to be a friend, to be there for them, to give them a chance to talk a little bit is huge, I think. Um, and then if you can, you know, in a very nice sort of subtle way yeah, broach the subject of maybe it would make sense for you to, you know, look at some resources. There's there's a lot of stuff available now and it's not that hard to connect with someone to talk to who is a professional because um, that might be helpful to you, you know. And certainly, you know, as your friend, it, it, you know, I'm concerned and we'd like to, I'd like to find a way to help you feel better. Great. You know, one thing that I've noticed, um, I, I've been around the sport uh, for a very long time, Um uh, and what I tend to see the sport of cycling, um, uh, in triathlon endurance sports in general, um, people tend to, some people tend to really, really, really get into it. They almost over rotate to the point. And, and I always, what I've seen myself and, and, and this may be a, a good indicator as well. And I'm just putting my two cents in here is when athletes really start to ride a lot, like way more than, than makes sense even. It's like they're in this manic state. And then you see at some times, usually a change of season might do it as well. They disappear. And maybe when you see that athlete getting overly engaged, um, that might also, um, a flag might go up is, wait a second, you're going to every single race, every single group ride, you're riding eight hours a day. Um, is this healthy as well? Right. I mean, like, isn't there the other side where not, not, they're not necessarily pulling out, but they're getting too in. I don't know. Have you seen any of that, that manic state? I think a lot of these, even these professional cyclists are, are able to do so well because they have, maybe it's a chemical during their mania that allows them to do things that are, that are outside of, of, of what normal people can do. But then there's always the flip side when that stops. And I've seen a little bit of that in my coaching career. 
Yeah, I think there's a time and place to do that. Like you said, it's like, if you really have a goal and you have a certain thing you're working towards, you're going to have to go all in. But there's always a fine line of like when it becomes overtraining or overreaching. And there's actually some physiological changes that can happen within not just your body where you're fatigued and tired, but in your brain. Because when you start training so much or doing every ride, doing everything, it might just be so much of like this exertion happening where you start to not sleep as well. And sleep is really critical, especially for our mental health, because that's when our brains are restoring itself and our thoughts, you know, are recollecting and then we feel more energetic. But when we start touching over that fine line, it becomes to the point where you're not sleeping, then you wake up tired. And then that's when you see that huge crash because there's so much buildup to it. And then the health of the being actually declines and the lack of sleep, and it just starts piling up. And then, then it's, it's insane what you can see, but you start getting depressive thoughts and not feeling as energetic. And then you start to pull away. And so I think it is pretty prevalent. I think there is a time and place for it, but it's really understanding how to know that fine line for yourself. And, okay. and I, I would add, Robbie, um, I don't really have a very good cycling uh, perspective on this. Um, my racing career was short and slow um, and, and not a, enough miles to be any good. But, um, but I was a lawyer for 40 years and, and, and largely in a big firm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's known as a profession that also uh, takes its toll on people from a mental health point of view. I, I, a, I think there's probably a lot of type A types that end up in big firms and, and they, some of them are working like slaves and they're working like, you know, crazy hours. Um, and they may be working on a big M and a deal. And sometimes when those deals are over, they kind of crash and, and, um, and it's, you get this exhilaration while you're in the deal. Um, but then when it's over, it's, it's kind of like, your life just ended kind of in, in this odd way, like the, the, there's this withdrawal symptoms and stuff. And it's uh, you've had a lack of sleep for a while, um, but it's, it's a tough career. And I, and I think, you know, the ups and downs with the, the way the pace is kind of unpredictable and then you have really crazy weeks and then it slows down. Um, it's taken a big mental toll and it's, it's not a secret that the legal profession is, is one that has had a lot of, mental health issues. Um, so it's, it's maybe not totally dissimilar to what you're talking about with the say endurance athletes or cyclists. I agree. Um, let's talk about research a little bit. I know some of the money, um, hopefully more than a million after this year is going to be sent. Uh, some of it's going towards research. What is currently happening in research? What is exciting that they're, what's exciting new research and, and then what needs to be done in research that's not being done? Wow. Um, well, first off, you know, there, there are a whole lot of different mental health, mental illness conditions, whether you know, you're talking about borderline personality disorder, like our son had, though he also was plagued with anxiety and depression issues, there's schizophrenia, you know, there's a very long list of things that um, researchers at McLean, for example, are working on. Um, and um, w- the way our funds work when they go to McLean is, uh, quite simply, the the head people at the hospital um, 
suggest what they believe would be about 10 really good uses for the funds. And um, often they are existing studies that need more money. Um, and it could be, you know, on anxiety or borderline or any of these things. Um, and, 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 and the head people are saying, you know, this is, this is a very important study and somebody's making some real progress here and, but they need some more money to, to continue what they're doing. Um, another thing we do is every year there's someone who's, uh, known as the Eric Doris fellowship winner and gets a grant, um, for, um, you know, a research project and that's a competitive award. And again, you know, the, the, the doctors that run the research programs at McLean select the winner of that. And, you know, a couple of years, maybe it was 2019, we actually had the, the, the winner, Natasha was, was a cyclist. In fact, she doesn't own a car and she rides to, to McLean every day uh, and back from her house. And she came, she got a ride from somebody else to get to the ride for mental health. And she spoke at her dinner about her studies or research on anxiety issues. And, and, you know, that was a great selection. And it was so great that she happened to also be a cyclist and, and participated. So, you know, I think the good news is that there is a lot of research going on. Um, you know, the, the, the disappointing and frustrating news is we still uh, are seeing such a huge issue in this area. And unfortunately, even before the pandemic, we've seen you know, big increases in numbers of problems with teens, for example, you know, with anxiety and depression. And, you know, it's really unclear what this is happening from. Is it, is it, is that a true increase? Is it just, we're, we're diagnosing it or people are talking about it more? Is it, you know, something because of uh, too much screen time and internet and all the things associated with that? And then of course the pandemic has exacerbated it. Um, so, you know, we've seen so many more people struggle uh, with these kinds of issues. So the, the research is critically important now. Um, and I think, you know, because our goal is to raise some money for McLean for education, research and treatment, but also to, to help end the stigma associated with mental illness, I think the more people that are comfortable talking about it, that will only help getting more dollars to research that will only help insurance companies being forced to pay more for treatment uh, for mental health, um, you know, mental illness related conditions. And so, you know, I, I think when all that gets going in a much bigger way, we're at the tip of the iceberg now in terms of the ride, when we can really do more and more people, more organizations are doing more, I think we'll finally start to see bigger changes. Charlotte, any, any breakthroughs in research that you've seen or heard of recently that you feel is really going to have a positive impact um, on, on, this, on this awareness, on, on this struggle? Any like technical, maybe, maybe medication based or anything recently, or maybe over the last four or five years that you feel has really moved, um, move this further forward? I haven't looked too much into that, but I think a lot of it is the awareness, like okay. the awareness of individuals about people talking about their mental health. I think that is one of the biggest things that's blown up because years ago, I talking about it, like, I love the slogan behind the ride, you know, end the stigma, because there is kind of this stigma behind it of like, well, you have mental issues, that's not good. But our brains are incredible, and just incredible pieces of work. And we all have different ways of thinking. And sometimes things don't fire the right way. And that's okay. And I think just within the last 
two, three years, even especially since the pandemic hit, I think it really allowed people to start to talk about it and start to actually challenge their thoughts of, well, why am I thinking about this? And why is it affecting me? But also being aware of other people and how it's affecting other people. So that stigma isn't as much of a taboo because, you know, when you would say, oh, I getting a psychologist, people would be like, oh boy, she's crazy. But now it's more of like, oh, that's awesome. You know, you're, you're working through some things and that's great. And I think that whole empathy around and for each other is increasing. And I think that's important for us because I think we lost a little bit of that through technology, through just the things of life. We tend to get into this continuous like work and life zone where you just don't really pay attention of where you are now and the people around you. And I think we're starting to realize that it's important. Great. Now, just for both of you, again, I know the third thing, I know we talked about education and research. The last thing is the treatment. Um, you know, what is currently being done to, to treat mental illness, mental health, mental wellness, and, and dispel some of the myths around it. I think there's, you know, I think most people think, Hey, you go see a psychologist, they give you medicine and that's it. And I know that's not nearly how it works. So dispel some of the myths around it and, and, and tell us, you know, what's, what's the current protocol for, for treating mental, mental health. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty widespread, uh, but, but, but just to give you one example, you know, when, when our son, um, was in high school, uh, he had a psychiatrist and, and the psychiatrist, um, actually thought, uh, that Eric was probably suffering, um, not so much, uh, a borderline, but, but, you know, some other issues, uh, like the anxiety and the depression. And it wasn't until he had had some kind of really terrible episodes, probably from a mixture of drugs, um, where he finally agreed to get a, a full psychiatric evaluation. That's when he was diagnosed with borderline. Well, borderline personality disorder, the best treatment people uh, have figured out so far isn't really a, a, a drug treatment, but it's more uh, something called DBT, uh, dialectic behavioral therapy. And, and, um, and so it's a totally different approach. And so the, the, the medications that Eric was taking you know, uh, not only maybe they weren't so helpful, but maybe they were detrimental to his progress in terms of trying to fix the, not fix, but but learn how to better cope with the borderline uh, personality disorder issue. So, you know, part of this is, is, is in a sense, uh, trying to make sure that our professionals uh, are, are learning more, right? And, and you know, helping them um, understand you know, better what their patients are going through. And, and this isn't like just breaking an arm, it's a whole lot harder. So, so it, it is a challenging area. Um, but the treatment varies so much depending on on what people are doing. And, you know, I, I read a lot of things about treatment, and, and um, for different things. And I see headlines all the time about different approaches to things. I've seen, you know, microdosing LSD for a bunch of things. I've seen electric shop shock type therapy, which sounds like an old thing, but it's, you know, it's, it's, um, people think it has some really great uses done certain ways and you can pinpoint certain sections of the brain just done with a lot more, um, accuracy and knowledge today in, in being able to treat certain things. So there's all kinds of studies going on with all kinds of new innovative treatments or 
old treatments that are now being applied in a much better, much more strategic fashion that um, people think have promise, you know, for helping people. So, you know, the, 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 and, and one of the things, one of the things we do with our, our donations to McLean and, and when we talk about treatment is it's important to me that some of the funds that we raise go to help someone whose family couldn't otherwise afford paying for treatment. So for example, they have a section for like an inpatient section for borderline with a six week, very like, you know, extensive program. And, and that's not something insurance companies want to pay up for. And, and, uh, and so we'll pay, you know, a portion of that cost for a family couldn't otherwise afford it. So in that sense, some of our dollars are going to like on the ground, just helping a particular person. Cause I've always said, you know, if we can help one person through this ride, you know, to me, that is all worth it because you can't imagine the devastation and havoc that happens if you lose a kid. And, and um, so if we can help one person, it's all worth it. But, but in terms of treatment and what's going on today, you know, hundreds of different kinds of things are going on with treatment uh, across the spectrum. Um, I'll let Charlotte. Yeah. I, well, I think there's ways we can kind of chunk it. You can have inpatient, you can have out of patient, and then you can have modsley programs where it's family-based programs. And then you can have like both in and out of patient where they're kind of in between and they go into the facility and out, but there's also just at home, like where you see a psychologist. But I think there's a lot of issues still with like seeing mental illness as an issue because you know, when you break a leg, you're sitting there and you're screaming in pain and you see the broken bone and it's there and you can see it. And it's like, well, yeah, let's, let's get you in. Let's get you some help. But with mental illness, it's, it's very quiet at first. And when mine came up, it happened so fast and it's such a blur that you can't really tell what's going on. It's not visual. It's all internal. And I think it's hard for people to understand that because they're like, well, why do you need to go into the hospital? You're not hurt, but you're, you're actually, it is a pain sensation in the brain. It is physically exhausting and it's hard. And it's, it's more difficult when people don't see that. And they're, they're not understanding that it is just like an injury, if not more. Tell us a little bit about certainly true and the people that that um have not experienced depression for example it's it's next to impossible to understand what that other person is actually going through and and the amount of pain and desperation that they may be kind of uh, facing on a day-to-day basis yeah it's really tough to explain it have you seen things getting better and better as it relates to treatment diagnosing you know are we are we moving up a nice steep curve here, or have you seen it kind of level out? I mean, I just did a little bit of research on the suicide rates. It looked like they really sloped up to about 17 or 18, and then they've kind of flattened out a little bit. Is that because we're getting better and better? Or, you know, talk about how, you know, you've seen this this space change over the last five or six years or seven years since since you've had your challenges, Charlotte. Um, And what does the future look like? Is it, is it, continuing to get better and better, or is it leveling out? I think, yeah, it's definitely gotten so much better. And 
over the years, I believe it's just awareness and for people to actually talk about it because it is such a, a dark thing to go through. And it's really difficult when you, when someone commits suicide and is successful and there's someone there that just doesn't simply understand. And that's okay because when you don't go through it, it's hard to understand why someone would be in such a dark place. But when you do go through that, you, you know those feelings and most of that time you're locking them up inside. It's you're quiet about it. You don't want to talk about it because you're afraid and it's very internal. And I think over the years, this it's flattening out because people are just getting more, more vocal about it. Like, yeah, I'm feeling terrible. Like I'm having an awful week or saying, you know, today is not a good day. Um, and, and being okay with that and feeling like they can trust others more and there's more, and this is like why the ride is so important because it's that awareness like, okay, this is mental health. We're not messing around. It's just like an uh, injury and we need to just bring even more awareness that it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay. It's not scary. It's not a bad thing, but it's okay. How important are these athletes that are now getting more and more comfortable coming out? I, I, to me, they, they've, they've really done an amazing thing for, for, for mental health. I mean, I feel like fortunately or unfortunately, people really look up to these professional athletes and they, they think, you know, that, that, that obviously they're very special at what they do, but I think they elevate them even higher than just their sport. And to hear, you know, the likes of Serena and, and Simone and, and Michael Phelps talk about these things. Um, to me, it's had a big impact and, and maybe I'm guilty of putting them putting athletes on a pedestal. Um, and, and, and they're just like us when it comes to these sorts of things. Um, what about them? I, I mean, are, do you think they've, they've made a big impact and, and then I'll, I'll close with how about social media? I mean, obviously there's some downsides to it, but has social media helped really bring mental um, health and wellness to the forefront? Yeah. I like what you just said though. You said just like us, because I think social media does do that. It, it paints this beautiful, perfect picture of what we want to put ourselves into the world. Cause we're not going to want to be like, okay, like here's my beautiful breakfast. And it's like a piece of toast. You know, you want to show the colors with the avocado and it's, you know, our attention spans are so short. People want visual bam right away. And, and so the way you present yourself on social media might be a little bit different. And I think over time it's taken its toll for athletes too, because they want to just show their successes. Why, why show your failures? I mean, that's negative. You want to just be like, Hey, look at this, but you don't know what's happening behind those closed doors. And, and you're right about a lot of this. It's, I'm so happy they're coming out and telling people because the more people who have experienced it, tell their stories, the more you feel, the more people who are going through it themselves, which is a huge number. There's a lot of people struggling. They don't feel as alone. And I know through my years of incredible struggle, I felt so alone and I felt like I was the only one in the world with the only issue and it was just too problematic. And I think with them saying, you know what, it's a struggle. It's hard. It's hard at this level. And even coming about like coming out about it, posting it on social media so others can see 
then it makes people feel not so alone. They don't feel like they're in it alone to, and they can't get out of it. They feel like, okay, maybe I have a chance, you know, and it gives them that little extra light. Great. Um, anything that you do now to maintain your uh, mental wellness. I mean, I, you've had a struggle. We talked about it on our last podcast. Um, you tried to commit suicide, um, unsuccessfully. Yeah. How do you, how do you maintain, like, would you feel yourself kind of coming in and out sometimes and go, this is what I do when I start to feel these feelings of, of, of depression. And this is kind of what I get on my bicycle and I ride 20 miles or I call my coach or I call a friend or I call my therapist. Like, how do you, I, I, it really never leaves you, right? It's something you, you, you work with and work through on a regular basis. What things do you do to kind of pull yourself back in, back out? I, tell us more about how you maintain um, the current state that you're in now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went through a good decade in my childhood of struggling with suicide, depression, all the types of eating disorders. I was in and out of patient in the hospital and going through college. That's when I was kind of, you know, mending myself and, but I still relapsed. And there is many moments after that I relapsed and had a year of just not doing well, really struggling. And then since then I was able to really be aware of my thoughts it's, it's kind of interesting, but our thoughts kind of run us. We, we tend to not even think about what we're thinking, you know, cause we're trying to go through day-to-day things. And I always like to have a panic button right here. And like, if something comes up, I'm like, bam. And, and then before I hit it though, I'm like, wait, why a lot of the reason that helps me is like, why am I feeling this right now? What's the reason? Like a couple weeks ago, I was just sitting and I was super anxious and I was just like, I'm so anxious. I'm so worried. And then I was like, wait, hold on. Like, why are you anxious? Like it's, and it's really being present in the moment. And that's why I love cycling because I don't worry about stuff when I'm riding out there way out there in survival mode. I'm, I'm worrying about just being in nature and vitamin D has been helpful too. just being outside the fresh air and then being with other people. And And a lot of what's helped me is being open to Matthew, my boyfriend, um, about, you know, I'm, I'm feeling weird this week and just letting him know. But I think it happens to a lot of us now. We definitely like depression or feeling sad. It's an emotion and it can become an issue if it is chronic over time. So if you have it for more than months and months and it's a continuing thing, then it can become a problem, but we all experience sadness. Like my Nana just passed away last week and our family's mending and we're, we're figuring it out. And I, I feel that emotion. And I feel like when I feel that it's different because over the years of struggling, I've been working to build tools on how to handle that emotion. And so a lot of what helps me get out of it is because I've built those tools with psychologists through my life experiences, talking about it. Um, it helps me get through that because yes, it will present itself here and there, but life is like that. (laughs) And Robbie, even though I've been fortunate enough myself to not 
um, have to go through these struggles. You know, one word that that has come up, um, particularly since um, Eric really struggled and, and died, is is the word resilience. And I think listening to Charlotte, you, you can see how you know she has developed some really great resilience in her life, so that you know the downs aren't. She's able to come back from the downs because, you know, everybody's going to experience some downs from time to time. But but part of the, the question is, how do you how do you recover from those? How do you come back and sort of be on an even keel? And, and the word resilience is is a really important concept, I think, with with people's mental state. And and Eric, unfortunately, um, you know, didn't really have enough resilience um, to, to survive his, his issues. Yeah, that's been my word for the last two years. Resilience. I have it on a pair of socks. <laughs> wow, that's great. It's, it's a great word. We got to get that on the jerseys. We got to get that on the uh, ride for mental health jersey somewhere, maybe on the inside of the collar, resilience. Yeah. Um, but I just, in closing, I just want to thank you both. Um, this was a, a tremendous education for me. Um, I really appreciate your openness and honesty. Um, you know, Mac, I just, I just, I just feel so bad. I, I, I don't, I don't even know what to, what to say, but um, I'm excited about your event. I'm excited that Vision Quest and Velocity are part of uh, the sponsoring of your event. Um, uh, hopefully at some point I'll get out there and do it. Uh, maybe Charlotte and I will both go out there and, and do your event maybe next year, but this year uh, we're super excited to have uh, Velocity be a part of it. And uh, we hope it's, it's bigger and better than ever. Um, Charlotte, if you get a chance, uh, please go check out her velocity classes. And if you are taking training uh, with velocity for the right for mental health, Charlotte is an incredible instructor, an incredible athlete, an incredible person, as you um, may have already figured out in this podcast. So Mac, Charlotte, thank you so much uh, for your time, for your energy. Super, super excited about the ride for mental health this year. Please go out, sign up, whether it's virtual or on the, on the, in the event itself. And uh, we look forward to a, to a great year. Thank you all. Thanks, Robbie.